Hello and welcome back to FTTV. We are back again with another episode of our weekly podcast. I'm your host Ali, joined with my fellow co-host Jawad. Jawad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And before we get started, just another reminder to hit the subscribe button. Make sure to give the video a thumbs up before even watching it. That would be highly appreciated. Ali, a lot of things going on in the world of football. Let's get into it. Let's talk about the disappointments of the European Championship so far. Uh, Croatia have hugely disappointed their fans. Uh, they don't look like a team from the 2018. Obviously, the age is a big factor in their squad. But still, you expect a little more with the quality of the players that they possess in their team. And same goes for England. Everybody was hyping their attack up and saying like the likes of Grealish, Sancho, Sterling, Kane will dominate the European Championship. And they have a home advantage as well when it comes to their fixtures. Uh, don't you think they have been extremely disappointing on all fronts? Uh, Scotland came to Wembley and got a historic, <laughs> historic result. Uh, holding the three Lions to a nil draw is a very disappointing result. Uh, English fans were very excited after their initial performance against Croatia. They seemed very, very bright. But people were forgetting that they only managed to score one goal against Croatia. It wasn't a tremendous showing by the attacking trident that they have. Now, obviously... Forms go in and out and Harry Kane hasn't scored in the Euros so far and I was predicting him to take the golden boot uh, which is kind of disappointing to me but I feel like if that squad is fully fit it does have what it takes to make a deep run. Uh, I don't see them winning the Euros but I do see them going through uh, to the round of 16 but it's been very very disappointing both from Croatia and from England. Now let's talk a little bit about Croatia. One thing that we missed out on, even though they are an aging squad, is that they're missing a true number nine. Now, they had Mandzukic the last World Cup that they were playing in, but this time around, they don't. They've got Rebic playing through the middle, and Rebic's favorite position is on the left. Now, he always loves to cut inside, play his uh, partners through, and he doesn't have someone who can actually finish the ball for him. And that's where I feel like uh, Croatia is really, really struggling. Against England, the way they lined up, was they had Rebic through the middle and they had Perisic on the left. If you had noticed in the game, both, uh, both, most of the time, both of the players are playing out wide and that left side was overloaded, which is, which can be uh, to their advantage. But if no one is in the middle to finish it, that's where the problems really start to come in. What do you think? I think uh, Rebic missed a very easy chance in the last fixture. He's not the uh, go-to player if you want to uh, get goals. He's more of a creator. And I think he's being played out of position. But that is not my main concern with Croatia. Croatia as a unit don't look very lively. They look uh, at times awkward with their transition from midfield to attack. Their defense looks shaky. Uh, even though they have a Vida, who is a very experienced defender, was playing in the last World Cup, was brilliant and was a crucial part in taking the team to the final. He has been kind of slow and disappointing for me. Uh, Luka Modric is slowly becoming uh, the 60-minute player that Pedro became at the end of his Juventus career. So the whole team is in shambles right now for Croatia and I won't be surprised if they go out. When I come to England, I have a few concerns. If I was the coach of England, Raheem Sterling will play at the right-hand side. And if you look at the left-hand side, uh, you have Rashford, Jadon Sancho, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish. Sterling will be my fourth-choice left-winger if I really have to play him. Uh, Bukayo Saka will get the nod ahead of him. He has been absolutely poor and hats off to Guardiola for getting 20 goals out of a player like Raheem Sterling who has a very poor end product. Uh, 
can absolutely disappoint thing uh, if i recall a couple of years ago when tottenham were playing liverpool in the uh, final of the champions league harry kane was absolutely poor in that match he was coming back from an injury and he was rushed into the starting 11 right now he looks like that version of harry kane not the um, goal scoring genius that we saw this season in the premier league apart from that declan rice and callum phillips are similar kind of players uh, you don't want to make a mistake of playing two holding defensive midfielders who don't fluctuate in the entire pitch uh, that is a big concern for me as well i think this is entirely on gareth southgate and tyron mings as a left sided center back looks extremely poor i absolutely agree with you and uh, the way the things are going it could be that england might end up facing uh, either portugal or uh, potentially germany in uh, in in the round of 16 and if they end up facing portugal i don't see them making a deeper run than that and unfortunately uh, the football will not be coming home as much as i uh, hate to say this but i feel like the talent in middle of the park is very very good for england is not at the level that portugal has portugal has a very good sure. midfield which i feel like would dominate if they were to come across uh, across uh, england in the round of 16 and if you look at the match against scotland they took nine shots and only one on target it really tells you the whole story of what was going on a thoroughly disappointing performance by england against scotland it, to be honest the way the table is set up right now uh let me just look it up czech republic with four points now england with four points and then both croatia and scotland with a point each now uh, now obviously uh, croatia is yet to play scotland Scotland and I feel like Croatia would take that one so that's four points from there and uh, it's going to be a difficult game uh, with an informed Czech Republic team against a non-firing English uh, team who do you see uh, winning the next game between them I think Czech Republic will uh, shock everyone and get a 2-1 win because the West Ham boys uh, Kufal and Suchek look absolutely devastating and they have a threatening presence Czech Republic have a very good coach and when they attack they just the entire teams move a couple of steps forward so that is very interesting to see to see and uh, everybody was saying like uh, croatia would dominate them because of the likes of kovacic and modric but it was exactly opposite it was a very good game a very aggressive game both teams had chances and one all was a fair result but czech republic really impressed me in this tournament so far and i think they will shock england uh, one of the beautiful things about football is that you can never predict what's going to happen everything takes a turn of events that nobody can predict and that is what is happening currently with the Euro- european championships um netherlands italy surprising everyone so let's start off with italy absolute unit right now locatelli nicolo barella immobile firing on all cylinders mancini have really got a group on his hands that can go all the way so what is your thoughts on the initial showings by italy in this euro so if i'm not wrong this is 10 games without conceding and 29 unbeaten what a run they have put together and i can say without a shadow of a doubt everyone was overlooking them everyone was thinking that these guys do not have what it takes and uh, they might not be able to make it deep enough but slowly but surely even the pundits started calling them the dark horses of the tournament now with being labeled the dark horses comes a certain pressure and that pressure has not gotten to mancini's men so far uh they had scored more than two goals for i'm not sure how long but they managed to do so for two games running and qualify for the knockout stages uh, the round of 16 that is now italy has been putting in shift after shift of brilliant performance 
Who do you think was the highlight in Italy's performance over these past two matches in the Euros? The defense, even though they are an old pairing, Pinucci and Kelleni, obviously looking very sharp and right on the money. Locatelli, for me, is the highlight of the uh, two games so far. Immobile has missed a couple of very easy chances, but Locatelli and Nicolo Barella have a really good midfield pivot. They dominate every opposition they have come up against so far. And the best part about Locatelli is that he is a holding defensive midfielder. But he goes forward and makes those runs behind the defense and really links up the attack with the midfield. So Locatelli for me is an obvious pick. Other than that, I've always questioned Bonucci's pairing for the Italian national team. But he has been superb as well. Uh, who do you think is going to start for Italy in the next round? So, uh, news coming in of Chiellini's muscle injury obviously makes me think that it's either going to be Acerbi or Bastone. I would actually go with Bastoni, but knowing Mancini, he is probably going to go with Acerbi because of his high-level uh, experience. And that, that makes me so, think, even though uh, I feel like Bastoni might be a better defender right now, that's not a knock on Acerbi. So, Banucci and Acerbi should be a very great pairing. Even when Acerbi came on, he was tremendous on the night. And he did really put in a shift and no one was missing Chiellini. Now, I say that, but Chiellini is a big factor. The leadership that he brings is beyond measure. You cannot really fathom the sure. amount of impact that just having him on the pitch has. Banucci is a very good defender, but I feel like Chiellini is on another level. So having those two players is an absolute treat to watch. Now, there is one player that I want to highlight and for Italy, and that's Spinazzola. On the left-hand side, he's been having a tremendous campaign. Now, Insigne has been somewhat of in and out, but you expect that out of him. He can pull out magical things like he did so in the first match against Turkey with that curling effort of Immobile's pass. That was absolute a treat to watch. But you watch and you see the work rate that Spinozola was putting in and the absolute nightmare that he was for both Switzerland and Turkey. I, he is probably the underrated player for Italy right now. Now, I do have a question for you since you brought up Locatelli. Uh, Verratti is fit again. He can play a few minutes on the pitch. How do you see him fitting back into it with the current form that Locatelli is in? I definitely think that he can contribute in some way in the European Championship. Uh, Locatelli and Barella look really solid right now and Jorginho is really spraying the passes in the middle of the park. But for me, if I'm Mancini, I would like to bring Virati on in the second half, give him a little run for 30 to 20 minutes and uh, see how he fits in because obviously he's coming back from a big injury and that is the right time to test if he can fit into the midfield. Uh, otherwise, I will go with the same pairing and if he uh, does the experiment of bringing on Virati and giving him some minutes, that will give him the confidence to really contribute massively in the uh, next round of uh, European Championship. That is the way to go for Virati in my opinion. But uh, my question to you is this, I've seen France really stumble against Hungary. So a lot of teams are disappointing and taking the opposite tra trajectory that was predicted for them. Uh, do you see Italy going all the way and uh, going against bigger oppositions and really dominating the match? So uh, I was playing around with the Euros predictor and the difference that I noted with this was that Italy is going to end up facing Belgium in the quarterfinals. So that that's something yes. which is very, very, uh, you can say, uh, scary, a scary thought. 
Belgium has been, uh, as we will discuss later on, on a tear as well. Then they've got players like De Bruyne, they've got Lukaku, and now they are starting to bring back in Eden Hazard. So tremendous talent and absolutely playing at the top of their game. Now, with that said, that's probably the most difficult quarterfinals to predict. Uh, Italy versus Belgium, if that happens to be that. If Italy finishes top and Belgium finishes top. that That's what, what's going to be uh, on the cards for the quarterfinals, I feel like. So it's a tough ask. I... I I think uh, that Belgium takes that one, they edge it, because of the firepower they have up front. Because out of all of this, you brought on a very interesting point. Even though Chiro Immobile ended up getting uh, one goal in uh, the first match against Turkey, and then another one uh, against Switzerland. Both of the goals, uh, the second goal specifically against Switzerland, was kind of lucky. It, it, it slightly got deflected and then bounced in front of the keeper and ended up going in. And he ended up missing uh, quite, uh, two very, very good chances in that match as well. So, uh, Chiro, he is a great player. But as long as you keep giving him balls, he'll, he'll score eventually. But that's where Lukaku, the factor of Lukaku comes in. He is a tremendous talent and he hardly misses. And Italy are right now, they've got Berardi, they've got Insigne who can score as well, but not someone prolific. Do you think not having someone prolific like Lukaku up front hinders the chances of uh, Italy uh, kind of going past quarterfinals, maybe into the semis? If I really look at the midfield of Italy, they can easily dominate Belgium. If Locatelli and Barella can keep uh, Kevin Dubrana in check, Lukaku will, will not have any service and uh, with Italy's tightly knit defence, there are not a lot of spaces that Italy provide you to run into and Lukaku is one of those strikers who likes to run with the ball into space and likes to create chances for the uh, his teammates who are running past him. So, Italy that way can really dominate Belgium in the middle of the park and this can be a very close tie. Uh, I would actually go against my prediction that I gave. I would, uh, I would favour Italy to go through to the next round. So I I think I agree with you as well. It's very difficult to predict. Though I'm saying that uh, Denmark, uh, sorry, not Denmark, Belgium has a shot of going through. It's off very slim margins. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're still in the group stages. Though Italy has gone through and though Belgium has gone through, let's see what happens. So moving on to the two nations that have that were kind of forgotten when everybody was predicting who is going to take Euros. Holland and Belgium. People were saying Belgium are not the same because their star man Eden Hazard was not firing for the last couple of seasons. Obviously, their groups are not the toughest in the world, but still very impressive in gameplay. Uh, what has impressed you so far by these two teams? Uh, why them? <laughs> uh, we were talking about him and his move to PSG and uh, you kind of labeled him as an overrated player but he's really shown what uh, he could be adding to PSG now Van Alden had a tremendous game against Ukraine and what a game that was back and forth back and forth uh, it was I think it opened up yeah. with yeah Van Alden scoring the, in the 52nd minute and then uh, Werkhoff scoring in the 58th minute and that's 2-0 and then two goals from Ukraine and late, late on, on the 85th minute, Dumfries uh, comes clutch and gives uh, Netherlands the win, 3-2 in this one. And uh, the second game was a bit more routine with the 2-0 win, with Depay and Dumfries scoring. And uh, what a season uh, Depay is having. A tremendous season coming off in the French League. Exactly. And now he's really showing what he can do in the Euros as well. And um, he's one, uh, one player to watch out. Definitely didn't really have a good start to his career. 
but had a resurgence, uh, resurgence in France. And now he's really showing the world what he, uh, what talent he does possess. Now, the Dutch is very exciting. And the reason they're very exciting is because no one can predict the way the game is going to go. Um, you're tuning up, you're cruising, and all of a sudden you give two goals away in the space of about seven minutes. And uh, again, your back is against the wall, but then you come up clutch. And But not every single time you're going to come up clutch and win the game. It's going to be difficult when you're playing that open. So it needs to be somewhat balanced. But again, I guess that's what the beauty of Dutch football is. And that's the way they just play. Uh, do you see them, um, even though they have been surprising and what a run they have and they're through to the round of 16, do you see them making it uh, into the quarters, maybe into the semis? Uh, depends on the opposition they face. If they face an opposition which has a very good attack, a very quick attack, then I think a daily blend might struggle on the left-hand side because he's very slow and slowly, you know, age is catching up to him and he's going towards the 30-year mark and that is the weak spot in the Holland team, according to me. When I talk about the midfield, they're not as dominant. They are looking to attack the ball every chance they get. They're not a possession-based team and with a team that will dominate possession like France or uh, Portugal or even Germany, that is where Netherlands can go out and if even if they come up against an opposition like Italy, they will go out. So the surprise package is a very good uh, surprise package for the group stages, but if they go to the next round, I see them going out uh, immediately. But let's talk about Belgium, the other team that has impressed everyone. They're looking very similar to the team that was playing in the last World Cup. Similar style of play, similar approach to the gameplay and Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku firing again. Eden Hazard has been involved from the bench and is not the starting man, is not the pivot point in attack for Belgium, but still they are looking very deadly in the final third. But apart from Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku, who are the obvious picks, who has impressed you the most in the Belgium squad? Brother Hazard, Trojan. Um, he, he's been playing very good. And uh, when you've got the second Hazard playing at this level, imagine when you have a fully fit uh, actual Hazard, uh, Eden Hazard at that, uh, coming off the bench right now, but even starting at that point, uh, how scary that would be. So you're absolutely right. I wasn't expecting because it's, it's been the norm now, even though they are the number one ranked team as per FIFA. Uh, they don't really show their potential when it comes to these big tournaments and they're not able to actually make a mark, uh, as people would say. But this time around, it seems it's a little bit different. Now, obviously, it's a shorter time span. It's a shorter tournament. And uh, they're through already. And they might be facing an easier opposition. But in the semis, uh, that's uh, sorry, in the quarterfinals, that's where the true test would come along against possibly Italy. Right. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they line up against them because Italy is uh, the understanding they have is truly breathtaking. Uh, the football they're playing is amazing. People say that on the international level, uh, teams do not have an identity, but Mancini has proven them wrong. They're, they're playing a free-flowing uh, attacking football, not something that Italy is known for, which would be a tough test for this Belgium side. Uh, they, they've got a great, great uh, passer of the ball in the dikes of De Bruyne. And what an assist that he had in the second match. Uh, none, typically, most people would have shot where he uh, he had the vision to notice that there were two players right beside him. He ended up taking an extra touch, passing the ball along, and uh, getting the assist. 
So that uh, is the key difference maker, I feel like. Uh, and probably De Bruyne, if they, Belgium ends up making a deep run into this, is going to be the player of the tournament, I feel like. So uh, he, he's been having a tremendous tournament so far. Uh, coming off, uh, not really playing in the initial game, but then coming off and really showing what he can do in the second game against Denmark. But when uh, De Bruyne was on, he was uh, a... a treat to watch right uh, so it really shows that when you have the likes of kevin de bruyne coming off the bench you have the likes of eden hazard coming off the bench imagine the type of talent you have and imagine the type of players you possess you've got Dries mertens he had a great season yet another great season with napoli and you've got Rukaku, who came off probably the season of his life with enter and you got trojan hazard now absolutely brilliant uh, on the day so it they do possess a very, very good squad. It was just that they were overlooked at times. They might end up going to the semis in this one. As far as the Dutch are concerned, uh, the Dutch might end up facing an easier opposition in the round of 16. So they would make it through to the uh, uh, quarterfinals as well. But that's when uh, the teams really start to dwindle down. Uh, I'm predicting a Portugal-France final. But the way things are going and the way... Uh, actually France are right now it's really difficult to see what's going on they've drawn level with Hungary as as the time of the recording so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they end up finishing at so it, it, it's, it's going to be a tough uh, and unpredictable I must say Euros if we really ta talk about it how deep do you see Belgium going in this one I think they will go out against Italy uh, if they pass the Italy test with a very you know, good approach to the game and they showed what they possess, the qualities that they have and a good characteristic throughout the team. Then I see a semi-final, but I don't see them competing against the best teams, which are France and Portugal. That is where they, they go out, in my opinion. But let's see what happens. Two managers who are discounted in the likes of Martinez and Frank Dubois doing all the right things. So Gareth Southgate can learn a lesson or two from these two gentlemen, but a very excited Euros. So let's see what happens. So a big news coming from Fabrizio Romano, one of the most reliable sources for transfers in football. Akhraf Hakimi from Inter Milan almost signed with Chelsea for a fee of 68 million. 52 appearances last season coming along with 10 goals and 9 assists was a remarkable season. On top of that, he kept an average match rating of 7.13. Very versatile talent can fluctuate on both wings. Do you see this as the perfect signing for Chelsea? A true modern-day fullback. Even though he's an enter player, I must admit that he had a tremendous season. And uh, he was probably one of the best players that Inter had. And uh, they are, the news is already coming in that they have already agreed verbally between Chelsea and Hakimi that the transfer would be happening. It's just that it's up to enter now. And the interesting point is that since it's coming from Romano, it is going to be a very reliable source. And as we all know, Inter are in big financial trouble. They need the money to get out of this. And with the sale of Hakimi, it would be uh, some money in their coffers. As far as their other star player, Lukaku, I don't see him leaving. That's not because uh, he is already committed to Inter uh, as per the public forums. So Hakimi to Chelsea does make sense. But the other team involved in the bidding war for Hakimi is PSG. Uh, though uh, Hakimi has a verbal agreement with the European champions, do you see the oil money of PSG tempting him to Paris? I don't think so. I think Hakimi, I take him as a very good professional. Uh, he, even though he was out of favor at Real Madrid after the first season, he kept working hard on his loan spell and finally got a big move to Inter Milan where he was, if I'm not wrong, he's 
the second most monumental player in Inter's title charge last season. His contributions on the right-hand side was remarkable and his versatility makes him the 70 million player that he's going to be. Hakimi for me is the perfect modern-day fullback. When I look back at Manchester United's history, it, he reminds me of Dennis Irwin, who was a left-back for Man United in all the crucial trophies that we won. He played a very major part and Roy Keane, one of the hardest men to impress in football, is the biggest fan of him. So Hakimi reminds him, me of him. But let's talk about Chelsea's system right now. Tuchel prefers a back three and that is no surprise. That has worked them and won them the Champions League last season. So he plays Rudiger on the left-hand side. Thiago Silva has signed a contract extension. He will stay till the next season as well. He will start in the middle. On the right-hand side, I see Andres Christensen or Quetta. Reese James, who is a phenomenal player and the best defensive right-back that England have at their disposal. He will start at the right. On the left-hand side, there is Chilwell. Who do you see dropping out out of these five gentlemen for Hakimi to come into the starting eleven? Whoever they have, they don't have a player better than Hakimi. That's, uh, I would say that. And Absolutely. the news are saying, the news reports, specifically off Goal.com, that Chelsea are trying to reduce the 70 million asking price by including in the deal uh, Marco Alonso and Davide Zapacosta. Now, both of these are fullbacks for the Blues, and it's understood if they were to leave, that would uh, open up the rooms and make some space for Hakimi to come in. Now, with the reduced tag, it, it absolutely does make sense. Now, Simeone Inzaghi, the new manager of Inter, uh, would love to keep Hakimi, but unfortunately, with the way things are going at Inter, uh, I don't stay, uh, see him staying that long. It doesn't really make sense for them to keep such a talented player, even though they uh, ended up winning the Serie A. Now, the financial burden that it brought is still big because they didn't make a deep run, keep in mind, in the Champions League and Chelsea ended up winning it. So, Hikimi, if he has, from what it looks like, he has uh, big dreams and he wants to play in the Champions League and he wants to make a deep run. Now, Simone Inzaghi taking charge of uh, Inter is not a proven coach in Europe. Thomas Tuchel is. Tuchel has won it. He's wanted against probably the best manager of the last decade in Pep Guardiola by playing it simple. And Hakimi does exactly that. He would fit into the right wing back spot like a, uh, like anything. It's it's going to be tremendous to watch him and his pace and uh, his hunger for goal and his hunger to get into the box is going to be something uh, amazing to watch in Premier League where all of you guys, all you literally do is run. So when you've got a horse running 24-7, he doesn't stop in the entire 90, it's going to be a treat to watch. For me, this is the perfect dream signing for Chelsea. And if they get a centre-forward in, I think this makes them the title contenders for next season, along with the likes of Man City. Absolutely, absolutely. Look what Hakimi did for Inter. Now, apart from obviously the attacking talent that they boasted in Lotaro Martinez and Lukaku, and a tremendous midfielder in the name of Barella, Hakimi was probably one of the most important players that Conte had in Inter. Now, he was always there when you needed him. He came up and scored very important goals. So, uh, it absolutely does make the difference. Now, Chelsea, they are lacking uh, up front. And if Hakimi is able to add a few goals here and there and chip in, the goal, the games which are typically a draw would uh, turn in, uh, into three points. And that would make the difference for them to challenge from the Premier League title. Whether it's PSG, whether it's Chelsea, both of the moves would make him into a true superstar. One of the most heartbreaking news that I have to deliver is Sergio Ramos. 
for me he is the soul of real madrid 671 appearances 101 goals along with 40 assists a world cup winner four time champions league winner five times league winner for me one of the best defenders of this generation is leaving real madrid how do you take this move was it shocking and where do you see him go next it is uh, very shocking and even though i say that look what they did with their legend raul so it's not something new to florentino perez now treating their legends like this and with the reports coming in that real madrid actually withdrew their contract offer and ramos wanted to extend it's truly heartbreaking and knowing uh, a few uh, madrid fans like i do the emotions that they were showing it's it's hard to see it's like maldini right at the end of the career if he were to leave ac milan i can imagine what i would have felt like ramos after an absolute tremendous career at real madrid for him to go out like that he's, uh, he's still 35 and that might seem old but you got to keep in mind he's a center back and a lot of center backs play it late into their 30s so um, with his positional uh, understanding and the way he understands the game his leadership skill he's going to be an addition to any team that can bring him on whether that be united whether that be psg and he's been linked with milan as well but uh, with him asking almost 12 um, million euros uh, of salary it's going to be tough to ask and a 15 million i think bonus as well signing on bonus is what the rumors are suggesting is going to be asking for so i probably see uh, him going to united as the most likely uh, outcome the reason i don't see psg and i'm not sure what the relationship between psg and real madrid is like right now but a difficult move for uh, ramos and if he does end up joining psg at the end of the day that would make the move for mbappe very very difficult because of the relationship that would be strained between the two clubs now milan is a move that i wouldn't really want because we've already got a very good tamore and we've got kier so uh, i don't see ramos going to milan or psg i feel like united is on the card and uh, uh, a stylish player in the most followed team in england does make sense do you want him at united absolutely but i think city cannot be ruled out from the conversation uh, pep guardiola as a fan of ramos even though uh, you know he committed the most fouls and got the red card against the pep guardiola barcelona but uh, united can really you know uh, gain a lot of momentum from this move even if you get around 25 appearances that can really lead the title charge for man united next season i'd say get him 10 million for a generational talent like ramos a center back you can chip in with goals is a proper leader has experienced all stages of world football and can offer the youngsters a chance to improve themselves from his ability as a captain i think that is something that you can pay for and it will likely be a positive outcome at the end uh, ramos for me makes sense for manchester united i would actually go for pau torres and ramos because uh, you're not paying the transfer fee for ramos you pay the money for pau torres get ramos on a free transfer and you have harry maguire as a good option on the bench or he can start a few games as well that is for me the ideal transfer window for manchester united but city are heavily linked as well so let's see what happens for i want to ask you this question before we close this topic up obviously you have seen maldini being an uh, ac milan fan you have seen nesta you have seen vidish ferdinand john terry 
where do you rank Ramos among the greatest defenders of all time? He, it's very difficult to do so because he's probably in the top five. But when you really start comparing him with the likes of Maldini, Barresia, and uh, even Cannavaro, there are some great, great defenders. But when you're already talking him in that light, it really shows what he can do. And keep in mind, uh, their neighbors, not their neighbors per se, but their rivals have another great defender in the likes of Gerard Piquet. And he's not spoken of in the same light as Ramos says. And if PK was left out of the Spain squad, he they they wouldn't talk about it as much as Ramos being left out in the Spain squad. So it, it really shows the impact and a true generational talent that Ramos is. Uh, an absolute tremendous player. And what makes him and what really sets him apart is he's not just a defender. He also attacks. Sometimes he's almost playing like a striker for Real Madrid at times. So a true. truly special player and in a truly special Madrid team. And with him leaving, um, Madrid is not the Madrid that we grew up with now. There aren't any uh, great players there. Now, obviously, we've got Benzema and we've got Modric. But that's uh, a shell of their former self. They're not the players that they were. Uh, Ramos was still playing at the top level though he missed half of the season the times that he did play the leadership that he possesses is something truly special and what the club presidents need to understand is even if your legends cannot play the impact that they make even off the bench is something else just look at what Zlatan did for AC Milan he, he missed half of the season but the actual mentality change that he brought to the club was something else. It's sad to see him leave and seeing him in tears, uh, even though I'm not a big fan of Real Madrid, really breaks my heart. And salute to you, Capitano. Uh, a tremendous season, a, a tremendous career. What a player. Hats off to Sergio Ramos. So let's talk about Memphis Depay to Barcelona. Reports are saying that an announcement would be made official at the start of next week. The lawyers are working with Barcelona and uh, Depay will be unveiled after the Euros as a, as a Barcelona play, player at the new camp. Um, do you see as this as an, another flop move or a wrong move or this is the right way to go for Barcelona? So the reason I don't see it as a flop is because Depay has already had something similar to, uh, like that happen to him in the past. Now, he's a player who's used to facing all of these uh, challenges and then coming out on the other side a better man so for for that reason alone i feel like he would not go uh, in the likes of antoine griezmann and the likes of Usman dembele though both of them have chipped in they really haven't made the impact that barcelona was hoping for and uh, because of that they had to rely on the likes of ansu fati and pedri which i really like because i really like la masaya and the graduates that they bring on the way those players play they are true uh, special talents. But uh, with the likes of Depay, uh, he, he is a Dutch player and having a Dutch manager really, really does make the difference. And I feel like uh, if Koeman st is staying and Depay is coming in, it would really make it uh, a seamless integration for him to come along and play, play alongside with, if not probably the best, one of the best players in the likes of Messi. Uh, it's a free transfer. That's the best part. They're getting him on a free uh, 10 million fee on signing and a contract of 270,000 per week. I don't think that's very bad when you compare him with the other Barcelona players who are getting paid in the similar uh, price range for me. That is a very good move, honestly. And consider the last season that he had 20 goals and 12 assists. So 32 uh, goal contributions in 37 appearances. That's not bad at all. My worry is something along the lines of the formation that Coman plays. Uh, I have 
obviously Ansu Fati is going to have a surgery very soon but he will be back he's very young uh, he will be involved in the team Pedri is another sensational talent that Barcelona have Messi is obviously a starter he will sign a contract soon then you have these man who is showing his class with France right now uh, so where does Depay fit in for you in the formation now the last thing that you mentioned was Griezmann is showing his class for France but w- one thing that we want to talk about is Griezmann has been always great for France it's not that uh, he he was bad for France it's just that he he didn't really play well for uh, Barcelona same goes for uh, these Barcelona uh, these French players Pogba having a great euros but really failed to deliver at United and that's where the difference is because these French teams are so closely knit together uh, the way they play on the national level is uh, truly special now the reason i feel like Pogba is doing so good is because of he's got Kanté alongside of them and the reason Griezmann is doing so good is because he's got a tremendous uh, talent up front in front of him even though he's got the same talent uh, like a very highly talented i should say uh, Lionel Messi playing in front of him. He's got some of the youngsters playing alongside of him, but that's just me trying to make an excuse for him, right? So I, w- I would say that uh, Griezmann, uh, he's a tremendous talent, but I, f- I feel like Depay would start over him, and uh, Griezmann can play even as a, as a number ten, right? So it's something uh, which is going to be open for discussion. But if you're bringing on a free agent with the talent of Depay, with a 32 goal contribution in 37 games, he has to start. You cannot bench him. It doesn't make sense to bench him. And uh, for him to start from the left hand side is going to be very difficult. Like you said, Fati is coming off a of surgery. He should be back soon. You got Pedri. Uh, you got Usman Dembele as well on the left hand side. So it's going to be very difficult to see uh, how he fits. into all of this but uh, where, where where do you see him starting who do you see dropping off for him if i really want to see the approach that common uh, would take it would be something weird he would probably play three center backs and two wing backs and depay and messi will start behind griezmann something along those lines but if i was a manager i would i would play a 4-3-3 with depay coming in from the left hand side which is his favorite position messi uh, in the center and Gri- messi on the right hand side and griezmann as the center figure as a false nine that can really uh, let messi and depay go ahead of him and fall deep and provide the balls for messi to run into an attack that is ideal setup for me but let's see what happens with depay definitely a good good free signing and can be the missing piece of the puzzle for the attack obviously he has a great relationship with the ronald koeman uh, he always comes up with the goals and assists and with messi on your right hand side and griezmann on the left you can definitely improve as a player and he's only 27 so let's see what happens and i wish him the best let's talk about the different transfer news coming from across europe so let's start off with arsenal the north london club is looking to sign an, an attacking midfielder who can play on the wings as well emil smith rowe is coming in the ranks at arsenal but he's inexperienced the first name is martin odegaard uh, arsenal are looking to sign him in the fee of about 50 million But Real Madrid are looking to hold, uh, looking to hold on to him as a first team starter. But due to game time, he is looking on other moves and other scenarios as well. Second option on the list as a backup is James Madison. For the past two three seasons, he has been a star man in the creative role at Leicester City. Obviously, they have been in and around uh, and have finished higher than Arsenal in the Premier League. If you were the manager at Arsenal and you, if you were the recruitment boss, who would you pick, uh, James Madison or Martin Odegaard? I would go with Odegaard. The reason for that is obviously he's got experience uh, with them already. Plus, uh, he, at the age of 22, he's already captaining. Uh, he's already captaining his national side in Norway. 
So a, a really uh, good talent and a reliable talent, right? So even though uh, he hasn't been tremendous with his goal contributions, I, I really see that there is a lot of potential in this. Real Madrid saw that and uh, Arsenal sees it. So I, I would go with that. Uh, why do you see Madison uh, is even being linked with them? Do you see both of these players at the same level? I think when you look at Leicester City and their success in the past two seasons, obviously they have finished fifth in the consecutive seasons. Madison has been a key part. His delivery from set pieces has been top-notch. He can score free kicks uh, as he pleases. Uh, his long-range ability and to score spectacular goals is there as well. And what makes him a good all-round player is that he has reached his potential and he's staying at a high level for the past three seasons. He was bought in from Norwich City for a fee of 20 million and I've never seen Madison uh, fall off dramatically. He's a very good player and with the Premier League experience, moving to Arsenal might not be a bad move. Uh, but I would go with Odegaard still because he has that uh, touch of a world-class player and maybe his game time at Arsenal can really you know, explode him on the scene of football like everybody was expecting him to start for Real Madrid when he was signed at the age of 16 years old. Uh, Arsenal should go for Odegaard but if they get Madison, they should not be disappointed. Two brilliant players. But I would still give the edge to Odegaard. Let's talk about Italy. Uh, one of the legends of the football game, Gianluigi Buffon. Obviously, you have watched him for the last decade. He was let go of Juventus uh, due to mutual decision. Obviously, he's above the age of 41, 42, if I'm not wrong. He signed with Parma, a Serie B side. So, how do you see this move? Uh, I, I love it, specifically the way Parma announced it with the Superman video. If you haven't seen it, you should go mm -hmm. online and watch it. it. It was something truly special. And even at the uh, high age of 42, Buffon is a special uh, player. Uh, you, you don't lose that. Even though you might end up losing your reflexes, you might end up losing the strength you once had, you might end up losing the speed you once had. But uh, you don't lose that uh, knowledge of the game. You don't lose the... Uh, uh, leadership skills that you possess and he is a true leader at that but uh, Parma hasn't been welcoming uh, and when I say Parma I mean the ultras at Parma haven't been welcoming for Buffon if you see Twitter and you see the message being left behind for him uh, they, they're calling him a small and insignificant man uh, because to them they, they feel betrayed when he left Parma for uh, Juventus, making him at that time the record signing in the goalkeeping position. So it's going to be interesting to watch him play for Parma and to see what he brings. Obviously, he's not going to be starting. I don't see uh, that happening, but it's a nostalgic move, uh, something which brings a bit uh, of a name recognition to Parma, uh, not even playing in Serie A at the point. So it, it's going to be interesting to watch. Now, a uh, I, all I can say is Buffon, though you played for our arch rivals Juventus, you were a truly, truly special player. Uh, what a tremendous uh, and absolutely filled with trophies uh, that you had uh, throughout your career. And uh, it, was a, it was a joy to watch you pull miraculous saves out of the blue and really uh, make the goalkeeping position cool. It was him and Iker Casillas who were to me and uh, alongside with Edwin Wendeshauer I must say who to me were the superstars in the goalkeeping position even though you don't see many superstars in that position. So a, a, once in a generational talent uh, but yeah let's see what happens with him. So another nos one nostalgic move to another nostalgic move Manchester United signed Ashley Young in 2011 for a fee of 18 million from Aston Villa. Uh, he started out at Watford, went to Aston Villa, made his name there, 
and had a very good season where he scored a couple of free kicks and had a good good goal contribution all at the end of the season united were impressed sir alex were impressed went there was let go in the later part of the last decade went to inter milan won the league there now he's going back to aston villa so a complete full circle do you say do you think he can still contribute to the uh, english side um I think he can because he he did something uh, which many people, well, specifically me, I'm, I'm talking about many people. I I didn't see it happening. I thought he was just an overage player, just making up the squad numbers. But uh, he ended up contributing a lot more than expected at Inter. Now, obviously, the headlines will be taken uh, by the likes of Lukaku, Hakimi, Barella, Lautaro Martinez. You can name a lot of players, and uh, he wouldn't come up, right? But he had a good season with Inter. Now, obviously, he's what 35, 36. Going back to Aston Villa, uh, really showing that uh, there are still uh, some what of a grassroots love that he has. Now, he snubbed Burnley to join them, which really shows that he wanted to play for them. But my question is, does he still make an impact? I don't think so. Honestly, I like Ashley Young. Even everybody at Manchester United was hating him. I thought he always gave gave his all. He was played out of position. at right back spot at the left back spot but he never said no and he was one of the most favorite favorite players by Jose Mourinho at the end of his tenure at Manchester United but when i look at Aston Villa they are aiming for players like Emiliano Bondia obviously they have Jack Grealish they have Oli Watkins uh, Ezri Konza John McGinn these are the players that uh, that make up a good top half side at the Premier League but signing Ashley Young as a backup not a bad idea but he's not going to have any impact might uh, come up with a goal or two on the penalty spot or a free kick but that's pretty much it you're not going to get a significant uh, effort out of Ashley Young at this age even with the intensity at the Premier League brings that out of question as well but let's talk about Fikayo Tamori signed for AC Milan and his successful loan obviously i think initiated this move finally back to Milan obviously Maldini is a big fan uh, do you see this as a signing that can propel AC Milan uh, in the mix of the title contenders next season Absolutely, absolutely. Uh he is a very pacey defender and that's something that we were lacking for quite quite a time, quite some time. Now we've got uh Kier who's been tremendous and um, really has a skillful uh and a heart when he plays, but he lacks pace. So does Ramonioli, right? Another uh starter for ours. But since Tomori came in, Ramonioli wasn't starting and because the reason for that was that pace that Tomori possesses, he's able to really integrate into the team very well. So it it was a kind of a no nonsense sort of move that it made sense for him to join from Chelsea. Now obviously he he was a player that came through their youth ranks so it must be tough for them to see him leave like that. But uh it, I feel like it was on Lampard. Now he's no no longer there. He gave Milan the option to take such a tremendous young talent off their hand and when you give someone a chance like that it's very rare that they will let that go. So it's uh, tremendous to see him at Milan. He's a great great talent and I expect great things from him coming into the future. Do you see Chelsea regretting this move in the future? Uh I don't think so. Because as good as Tamori is, uh, they have Malang Sar on loan at Porto who was signed from Nice last season and was immediately sent on loan at Porto. Had a good season with Porto. Remember they kicked Juventus out of the Champions League. So that was a big achievement. Malang Sar going back to Chelsea and Jesse Christensen uh starting at the end of the season and making an impact under Thomas Tuchel and Rudiger Thiago Silva Espelicueta Reece James Ben Chilwell so they have a lot of players and now Akraf Hakimi might be joining them so Tomori letting go is not a big mistake 
Tomori for Milan makes a lot of sense. Probably the best move in Serie A so far. Uh, and let's see what he can bring to the table. Uh, do you see him starting with Romagnoli or Simon Kier? Uh, I, he's going to start with Kia because uh, there are rumors suggesting that uh, Romanioli is going to be leaving and Milan's going to be done with uh, the clients of Mino Raiola. And thank God for that because uh, since the Donnarumma saga, I've had a bad taste in my mouth for any player who's been linked with Mino. So even though uh, Mino might be great for his players, he's not good for the clubs. So good riddance. Absolutely. And I say that sell Romanioli and Tomori is a great, great replacement for him.